Welcome back. I am your guest host, Deb Hutton, with you until 6 o'clock this afternoon. And joining me right now is the Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor, and Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. Gentlemen, welcome to The Rush. Let's get going with an announcement Pierre Polyev made in Brampton earlier today. He is in advance of the Federal Liberal Government's summit later this week on car theft, their national summit on auto theft. He's unveiling a four-point plan. One of those points, which I want to get your take on, and then a little bit later in the program, I'm going to get some uh, listeners to, to weigh in on this, is that Polyev plans to increase mandatory prison time for repeat offenders, repeat car thieves, from six months two, three years. So a, a running cumulative uh, offense log, if you will, that would take the minimum time up to three years. Bob Reed, I'll start with you. Positive, negative, don't like it? What do you think about it? I think it's fantastic and right in the wheelhouse for Pierre Polyev. He, uh, the, the, really what he's announced is a package of, of sort of minimum sentences or extended, extended jail terms uh, any time that car theft comes into play. Uh, and he's also long been a, a critic of, of what he has labeled uh, the Liberals' catch-and-release program when it comes to people getting arrested, charged, and they're out on bail right away. So it boils down to that stuff which is is good solid ground for for Polyev but even better as you noted later this week the feds are going to stage this high profile summit meeting on uh, on how to grapple with with auto theft because it is getting out of control it seems to be a, a uniquely Canadian problem with the amount of theft that's going on and we've all been hearing from the insurance companies that this costs all of us so there's a huge public demand for somebody to do something and here's Polyev several days out ahead of the feds uh, with uh, taking on this issue and laying out what he proposes should be done about it which of course they will have to respond to from questions from the media when they when they launch their uh, when they ho host their own summit meeting so uh, I think Polyev ticked every box with this one. Michael Korn, uh, as Bob said, he, he blames some of this on the what he says is the federal liberals catch and release policy as a result of changes that they made to, quote, modernize bail way back in 2019. Your thoughts on both the content of this and then, as Bob pointed out, the, the political win or not? Uh, I blame the tooth fairy, actually. I think uh, you can trace most car thefts back to a, a, an artificial, unrealistic figure. Oh, give me a break. I mean, yeah, it's good politics. It plays into the Tory playbook. Um, longer sentences, longer sentences. Absolutely irrelevant. First of all, car theft of this scale is not unique to Canada. And car theft is based on international crime syndicates. These vehicles, we had our cars stolen, quite, and, and Trudeau wasn't even the prime minister. And it's a horrible thing when it happens, right in our driveway. But these vehicles are out of the country to the Middle East or to Eastern Europe, Russia mainly, very quickly indeed. And the way to deal with it is to work with international police organizations to stop it at source. You know, if you say to these guys, you're going to get three years in prison instead of six months, they couldn't care less. They're making a, a fortune out of it. And the people in charge of, 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 of international car theft are never going to be caught because they're not the ones who actually steal the cars. They get very junior people to do it. 
No, it looks good. It, it, it triggers the right people and the right emotions, but it really will do nothing to solve the problem at all. And as for the insurance companies saying it costs everybody, I get very tired of this because I don't meet many people who run insurance companies who are applying for unemployment. They're doing extremely well. Insurance companies exist because they make a lot of money. So spare me that. And when it comes to longer sentences, some crimes, yes, I would agree. When it comes to crimes of violence and so on. But with this one, it'll make no difference. But yes, it's another feather in the cap for Polyev and, and the Tory campaign team. Well, I liked it until I heard all that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I've, I've got to be candid with you. I just, I, I, I've seen this so many times over the years, not only in Canada, and it just doesn't make very much difference. And the people who actually steal the vehicles generally, and by the way, if they want your car, they'll get your car, whatever you do. But the, the ones who often are doing it, they're very junior. And yes, okay, they'll go to prison for a bit longer. It won't change anything. There are ranks of people waiting to step up and do this work. Uh, because at the far end, the high end, the top end, millions and millions of dollars are being made. Two of those cars are mine. Um, <laughs> sponsored travel, Bob Reed. This is a practice that's been going on for, I don't know, decades at the federal, provincial, and in some cases, particularly in a city like Toronto, municipal level. Groups come together to sponsor a trip, very upfront about it, sponsor a trip to essentially be usually a fact-finding mission for uh, elected uh, politicians, or it is to get to know a country, or it's, it's, uh, it can be a variety of reasons. The, the motive for taking a politician on international travel for a sponsored trip is is generally a good one, but it isn't always the case. And so it looks like the federal government, the House of Commons, is going to stop doing sponsored travel. And instead, they're going to increase the travel budget of local MPs to allow two international trips, not paid for by a third party, but paid for by all of us through our tax dollars. Bob, your take on this. Uh, I think it's a, a smart move uh, by uh, by the House of Commons because uh, it, it only it only follows that if you're if you're the benefactor or the the the, the if you're benefiting from uh, from travel to some of these frankly quite colorful and exotic locations and you know you're not staying at the Motel Six when you go there as a, a guest of whatever group it is for sure that's going to consciously or not, um, impart uh, a pretty significant degree of influence. Even though it was done transparently, uh, beforehand, I, I, th I think that, uh, that, that this, 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 this is a good move. I'm, I'm aware that uh, a few MPs recently went to the Middle East in the midst of, of the, the, the turmoil and the horror that's going on over there so that they could get as close as they could to get a, a thorough understanding of, of what's happening there. There's some real value in that, uh, I think. But uh, some, of the, some of these other destinations that I see listed, Thailand, Japan, Spain, uh, I'm not sure what the burning need is for MPs to go there fully sponsored by third parties. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I don't disagree with anything Bob said, Michael, but I'm not a big fan of saying, just as Bob's pointed out, some of those trips make sense. Some don't. Some are purely junkets. And so upping the travel budget of MPs so we can pay for their junkets instead of a third party, I don't know how much better it is. 
I think that's very well put. The first question I would ask is, uh, if MPs are really doing their job well, and I think most of them do, most MPs I know of whatever party work very hard, but if they're really doing the, the, the work, how do they get this time to go abroad so often? And quite a few do travel quite regularly. Uh, also, countries rarely say, we'd like to pay for you to come to our country so you'll really dislike it and badmouth us in Parliament. Obviously, they're trying to gain influence. Look, even I as a journalist, and, and I'm sh well, I don't know, but I think Bob may have been asked the same thing, and probably you as well. We've been offered trips to various countries uh, as being people in media, and it's a way, it's not corrupt, it's not immoral, but it's the idea that you will meet people, you'll like people, you'll see what we have to offer, you won't see the other side of, of what is going on. Uh, there are MPs, certainly, of, of absolute integrity, who will go and learn about a situation. might not be a very pleasant place to go. It could be a war zone, and there is value in that. But otherwise, I certainly don't think we should be paying for this travel, and I would scrutinize where these MPs go. But this applies to everything an MP is doing. Every time there's an external influence or pressure, uh, whether it's benign or otherwise, on a member of parliament, that needs to be exposed. At, all members of the public, not, not just the constituents, need to be aware of it. But once again, uh, being an MP should be a full-time job. So, yes, you can take a vacation. Even the Prime Minister apparently takes them. But they shouldn't be very common, and they shouldn't be paid for by other people. And if you then speak about those issues in Parliament and in public, then there should be a lot of question, questions being asked of you. Reverend Michael Corrin, News Talk 1010 contributor, Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. They will continue to join me after the break, and we're going to discuss King Charles. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm your guest host, Deb Hutton, and also joining us this afternoon, Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor, and Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications. So we covered a story a, a week or so ago about the fact that Manulife and Loblaws had struck a deal. Individuals who have Manulife as their private insurer, usually for drugs, dental, the like, said that if you are on uh, a medication that falls under their specialty drugs, there was about 200 plus of them, you needed to get those drugs at a Loblaws company um, drugstore. So Shoppers Drug Mart within a Loblaws store, Canadian Superstore, something owned by Loblaws, and that was going to help cut down on costs. Well, today, they've done an about-face Bob Reed, your thoughts on this. Do you think this was a, a smart move to do a 180? Well, I think it absolutely was because th this strikes me as one of those decisions where uh, in one branch of the operation, a business plan was put together, a business model was was sketched out that would be beneficial to the bottom line of, of, of the insurance company. And then nobody thought of the optics. Nobody thought of the reputational hit that this could generate, and not just for Manulife, but for everybody's favorite punching bag these days, it seems, Loblaws, on, on the other end of the equation, is the owner of Shoppers Drug Mart. Hey, Bob, so I'm going to ask you to reconnect while I go to Michael Korn. I think we got most of it, but we have a bit of a technical issue with your um, with your feed. Michael Korn, uh Bob making a, a great point that this actually was a smart decision on the part of uh, Manulife. Your thoughts on this? Well, yes, the optics obviously were very bad, but I would like to think, naively perhaps, they did it out of reasons of morality. I mean, the idea that uh, the, the private sector 
and a hugely important and influential corporation like Loblaws and all of their subsidiaries should have a, 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 an essential place in the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare, I find to be repellent. And I think we have to defend public medicine in every way we can. There was a, a reaction to it in the public. I'm sure politicians uh, felt the sense of, of, of people out there and realized they had to change, as did the insurance companies. Now, maybe they just did realize in, in their gut, in their heart, this was wrong, or maybe they were told, you know what, it looks terrible, we need to change. Either way, I'm glad it's happened. I mean, I really do worry about the, the future of healthcare in this country. I'm not committed to it as a political principle. I'm committed to it as, a, as an ethical principle. I mean, I, I really think it's something worth fighting for. And I've seen in other countries where it has really been decayed and people suffer terribly. I'm going to stick with you for a second here, Michael. Um, we learned today that King Charles, on the heels of having been in the hospital for an enlarged prostate, has cancer. Uh, obviously, you know the country. Your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I'm not a particular monarchist nor a Republican. Uh, I, I think it's probably a system worth preserving, but I, I don't think that's the point. The point is, here is a, a man, a decent man, uh, a, a father and a husband, who has cancer, and we should all be full of empathy and compassion and understanding. And I've been quite appalled to see some of the reaction on on Twitter, on X, uh, less on other social media. Uh, these people who call themselves radical and clever and uh, anti-establishment, who are mocking and almost relishing what this man is going through. And he's going through something which is terrifying. We hope it's going to be okay, but either way, it'll be traumatic. Uh, I think it was very bold and brave of him to to declare in public what, what, what had happened because he wanted to make other people realize that they're not alone when they go through it. I don't think we're sure what type of cancer it is we're assuming, but I'm not sure if we're certain of that. But either way, uh, it's a time to show humanity. It's not a time for politics. And, uh, and anyone who said, well, I'm not a monarchist, I would say, I couldn't care less. Bob, I don't care what your views are on the royal family. I care what your views are on the human condition. Bob Reed? I echo everything that uh, Michael Corrin just said because he he framed it very very beautifully. I think, um, Deb, as you know, uh, I recently lived through this myself last fall. I got a cancer diagnosis, and I can tell you, it turns your entire world upside down. Now, I'm very fortunate. Mine was dealt with surgically. I'm recovered now, and I'm feeling 100. percent And I hope. The exact same thing transpires for King Charles. Um, the statement says he remains wholly positive about his treatment, looks forward to returning to full public duty. My, my only additional comment would be, I don't know why the palace just didn't come right out and say exactly what his cancer situation is, where, where is it, what is, what is the prognosis? Because ironically, the same statement that they issued says that His Majesty has chosen to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen now. Now yeah. the, the British media will be pursuing uh, the, like, a, like a dog on, on that bone, trying to find out the exact details, and I'm sure it will probably come out in fairly short order. So I think they should have just disclosed it right up front uh, and, and, and let, let, let the world know what, uh, what this man is facing. And again, I wish him all the best. 
We um, uh, took some calls this afternoon, not that long ago in the last hour or so, from individuals. I I talked about a story of a woman in B.C. who has started to charge her 18-year-old son rent. He's actually working full-time, came out with a certificate of carpentry out of high school, chose to go to work. And I had not a single caller who was against the notion of charging your kids rent once they start working, regardless of their age. And we're not talking about, you know, a basement apartment that you could get other income from. We're talking about charging them rent for having the bedroom that they've had for, you know, as long as they lived at home. Your thoughts on this, Michael Korn? Uh, I have to say I wouldn't do it. Now, let me add, that doesn't mean I'm right. (laughs) I'm just being honest, I wouldn't do it. I mean, we have four children. They've only lived with us, I'm trying to think here, when they were studying, mind you, they went beyond university. They did other studies, too. So they were living. We never charged rent. That might not have been the right decision, though. Maybe we should have done. Now, the, again, that was just their bedroom. Um, if it meant you couldn't rent out an apartment, if you were losing money, obviously, I think then you should pay rent. But I don't know. I just I wouldn't do it, which probably means I'm a really soft, bad parent. And, and there you go. It's too late now. So, Bob Reed, I finally found the person who, who was against all of the callers. and It's Michael Corrin. I should have known. <laughs> should have gone to him first. Exactly. Yeah. But it was interesting yeah. to me, like unanimous. And I had a full slate of callers, women, men, moms, dads, all said once they start work, um, this is the responsible thing to do. And most of them were actually socking it away unbeknownst to their their offspring um, to have a down payment at some point. Yeah, so it's, it's more of a forced savings program that right. ultimately will come back to benefit them in the end, right? Um, this was the rule in, in my house, not, not the you'll get a down payment for a house part, but as long as you were going to school, and I have two older brothers, as long as any of us were going to school, Everything was taken care of. The minute we left school, whether that's graduated, quit, whatever, and were in the workforce earning a paycheck, room and board was expected. And I really think that there is a, there's a tremendous discipline that, that, that comes with that. There's a, there's a tremendous uh, a teaching that, that, that goes on where uh, you learn pretty fast. Uh, once you are out on your own, you are out on your own. Even though you're still at home, you're expected to contribute. Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor Bob Reed, principal at Broadway Strategy and Communications, and the guy behind Touchdowns and Fumbles, which you can hear on the Jerry Agar Show this Friday. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Coming up after the break for News at 5, we're going to talk a little bit in a in a general sense, in a process sense, about what happens next that we now know the five individuals who were charged from the World Junior Team in 2018 and what we think will happen as we go through this process. You're listening to Deb Hutton on The Rush.